fellow writers, you have found Catherine's Corner of the Scripturian Society, where we discuss specific books from the writer's perspective. Here with me, Carissa, aka Lewis, aka Catherine, we discuss the writer's side of reading. But today's episode is going to be a little different because, in honor of Valentine's Day, we are going to focus mostly on romance. Now, if you don't like Valentine's Day, I'm with you. I don't love it. It's a weird holiday. All the lingerie commercials make me very uncomfortable, and love feels like an everyday or no day type of thing. I'm not sure why we celebrate it on a single day of the year. You don't even get time off work. It's not even a real holiday. <sighs> anyway, some of you feel differently. I get that. So I wanted to be on theme. Except in like the process of searching my bookshelves for a book to do this week, I could not find any strictly romance books because that's just not what I like to read. They're all either fundamentally a different genre with romance in them, like fantasy or dystopia, or they're super dark. Like, there's this one book I really want to talk about one day, Forbidden by Tabitha Suzuma, that is straight up about incest, and that just feels too heavy for Valentine's Day. So instead... I just picked a starting off point and we're going to see where this goes. So spoilers are going to be light, but if you're the type of person that wants absolutely none of them, come back once you've read our book for today, Stolen by Lucy Christopher. Fun fact, I did a book report slash project my freshman year of high school on this book where we had to essentially make a movie poster showcasing what the book was about. And I was very proud of my poster because I like named actors and gave it a soundtrack and everything. I went all out. I was really into this book because it's about one of my absolute favorite psychological phenomenon and that is Stockholm Syndrome. For those of you who aren't obsessed, Stockholm Syndrome is when you emotionally bond with your captor. It's this defense mechanism to cope with captivity. It's believed slaves experienced it, it's evident in most abusive relationships, and it comes into play in very sudden environments like hostage situations. Victims will essentially subconsciously find and fixate on any redeeming qualities they can see in their abuser or captor until they fall in love with them. Acts of kindness are perceived as, quote, the real version of that person, and when no end of captivity is in sight, the victim essentially convinces themselves psychologically that they love this person and want to be in the situation in order to take the stress off. In the short term, very useful, because captors are less likely to hurt you if they sense you're truly on their side. Long term, tremendous damage. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a professional, but this is my understanding of it. It can get so extreme that severely abused people will defend and choose to stay with and help violent criminals like Patty Hearst did. You essentially learn to love the thing that is hurting you to the point where you don't want to leave even when given the opportunity. It's super interesting, and it is the fundamental topic of this book. Our main character, Gemma, is drugged and kidnapped from an airport by a man who has become obsessed with her due to this act of kindness he witnessed her do for someone else. He explains it as she restored his faith in humanity. So to match that, he plans the perfect abduction while she's in transit and kidnaps her. Um, and the clincher in this book is that he, Ty, that's his name, takes her to live in the literal wilderness of Australia, so it is essentially impossible anyone is going to be able to find her. She is on her own. There is no end in sight, and Ty is real convinced that he is the hero and he is rescuing her from the big bad world. A true believer, not gonna let her go. 
uh, but it's told in the form of her writing letters to Ty as recuperative therapy after getting rescued, which takes a certain amount of terror out of the equation and allows us to focus more on Ty and his psychology and Gemma and hers. So first tip of this episode is that epistolary novels, novels written in the medium of letters, can be highly effective for stories with few characters or just characters that are dealing with trauma or horror. We all know this. It's like the first thing you notice about Dracula when you finally read it. But this book was so unique in that Gemma is writing the letters to her captor. He's never going to receive them. They're not meant to be read. They're meant for her to write. So they're very open, almost like looking at her life and his life from a distance. The purpose of these letters, the purpose of the prose, is specifically for Gemma herself to directly work through the emotions and stress she's experienced. And that puts us very up close and personal with who Ty is and how Gemma's psychology is functioning. Another factor that helps this is the isolated environment. Gemma and Ty are basically our only characters for the whole book, and so we get to know a lot about them. We, as readers, become just as dependent on Ty as she is because he is our only contact, our only source of conflict. Gemma can't run. She can't do anything to save herself except either convince him that what he's doing is wrong or resign herself to the reality of this new life. She also can't kill him because she has no idea where they are, how close the next town is, or how to survive in the wilderness. Killing him would kill her. So by taking the possibility of fight or flight out, she is forced to bond with him. And so are we as readers. It forces us to confront, at least somewhat, that there may be a gap between the reality that we love someone and the truth about whether or not we should be with them. Such a cool theme, and I loved it. Now, buckle your seatbelts, because I'm about to say a controversial thing. I think, to an extent, we readers and writers are starting to experience Stockholm Syndrome of our own. I think certain bookish love interests are actively giving us Stockholm Syndrome, as writers, we write things, and as readers, we read things that make us swoon and giggle and love them that we would never put up with in real life, right? Kidnapping is not romantic. Criminal activity is not romantic. Being a serial killer or a womanizer or a manipulative jerk are not romantic. There is an argument to be made to an extent that people like different things, that people have different love interest types. And so if you like reactive guys or guys who are on the blunt or aggressive side or guys who are more protective or jealous or whatever, great, that's fine. But I've got to be honest, girls, some of the boys in these books you love are hardcore toxic or abusive. Recent is significantly worse than Tamlin. I will be doing a full episode about this, so I'll skip past it for now, but good lord, there are no good options in the Akatar series. If you've read the Fever series, if you've read Beautiful Disaster, if you've read Paper Princess, these are straight-up unhealthy relationships and unhealthy people. And they're not portrayed that way. Tabitha Suzuma's Forbidden, for example, is uncomfortable and hard, but it is fundamentally about showcasing the very unhealthiness of incest, not to celebrate it or give it a place in society. That doesn't seem to be the case in most of what I think we're calling dark romance now, and romance in general. 
these people are manipulative and cheaters and jealousy mongers and killers. And like, none of that becomes okay just because they think they have a good reason for it. None of that becomes okay just because they're hot or they're not specifically hurting the girl. That's Stockholm Syndrome. We only like it because we're saturated in it, because it seems like there's nothing else. And writers don't seem to realize it's unhealthy and readers don't seem to care. We're just clinging to the bare minimum of humanity we can find in these people and making do with what we have. It's coming in so many forms, this gambit of player to actual murderer, and then we're supposed to believe that person is capable of love or is fundamentally lovable? I don't think so. Sometimes when girls end up with these boys, it feels like rewarding bad behavior. And I know love isn't necessarily a reward, but come on, can you really stand for someone who kidnapped you to eventually touch you? And if you could, don't you think maybe you should put your foot down about it anyway? But no, we just give them a tragic backstory and dark hair and say it's all okay that people have flaws and like true... But none of the men in my life have ever stalked anyone or murdered anyone that I know of. And if they did, I would not find them fundamentally suitable people to build a life with or to spend time with and certainly not to sleep with. Like, literally, I would not want to fall asleep around these people. That's terrifying. You can say that not everyone is looking for something serious. And I know some of these are legitimately intended to be plain spice and not serious stories, but if you're scared to turn your back on someone or if they threaten you, there's really no romantic benefit worth that. Is that sexy? I doubt it. I think this started out as strictly a romance genre thing, and now it's seeping into a bunch of others. And I know that reading is an escape for some people, but why are relationships like this escapes? Why do we like them? My answer is that fundamentally, readers are getting Stockholm Syndrome from these characters because the authors are portraying them as misunderstood bad boys. It's the light they're drawn in, right? But if misunderstood bad boys hit you or kill your brother or kidnap you, maybe they're not misunderstood. Damaged, perhaps, but you don't owe damaged people a relationship even if you like them. Even if you love them, it won't fix their damage and it won't be beneficial to you. I know fiction isn't real. I know it's a place to experience things you can't or haven't in real life. But isn't that really supposed to apply to dragons and first love and historical events, not abusive relationships? That's not fundamentally something I feel I need to experience. One of the most frustrating things about this is that it doesn't seem to be the case in reverse. Books written by men or with male main characters, Percy Jackson, anything by Brandon Sanderson, etc., don't portray the girls as abusive or toxic. The relationships here are typically very healthy. I am primarily talking middle grade and YA, so I don't know if this holds up in the adult genres, but in YA especially, female love interests don't have the toxic female qualities to rival the men's. And I don't know why this is. Are we trying to say that toxic men are attractive, but women aren't? Because I would argue that neither is. Are we saying healthy is boring? Because it absolutely is not. There are so many different types of healthy people or people who are damaged but are trying. Even in fantasy and dystopian books where stakes are high and wars are being fought, the love interests don't need to be cruel or enjoy being cruel or be fundamentally abusive in other ways. If you want a redemption arc, show a redemption arc. But maybe showing the girl accepting unhealthy treatment isn't a great idea, especially with YA audiences. It's really about acknowledgement. If your bad boy is working on it, great. 
four from Divergent, the Caraval Boys, some of Marissa Meyer's love interests, uh, most of Cassandra Clare's love interests. The boys in these books seem to be working on issues, but working on issues. They don't justify their behavior. And because of this, these feel like very legitimate relationships to develop. So on the flip side, what I love about Stolen is that it is about acknowledging the unhealthiness of the relationship, even though it feels very real to Gemma. She acknowledges in her letters that she is in love with Ty, that she can't help it, but that she's also aware it isn't healthy or real, which I admire because Stockholm Syndrome plays into real-life abusive relationships, and so this is unfortunately highly relatable and very important for some people to hear. It also manages to be a truly gripping story because as the reader, you reach this point where you're almost rooting for Ty. Same as Gemma, same as victims of Stockholm Syndrome. It's written to put him in a somewhat sympathetic light because it's from Gemma's perspective and she's suffering from Stockholm Syndrome, but we as the readers never quite forget the crux of what's going on. The moment you find yourself starting to like him, you're reminded that Gemma has been taken from her family. The moment a romantic moment hits, a subtle reference is made to where they are and you remember that she can't leave and how he's taking control of her whole life. And there are some seriously romantic moments in this book where you start to think, wow, maybe he really does love her. He's just misguided or awkward. But no, that's the Stockholm Syndrome talking. So, severe kudos to Lucy Christopher for being able to write a story that showcased such a realistic instance of Stockholm Syndrome that helped me experience it, almost, without letting me get away with it. Ty is such a subtle bad guy, you can understand how Gemma eventually becomes confused and wants to love him back. You feel bad for him, even start to love him too. But that caution is always just there, that clinging to who she actually is. And fundamentally, you as a reader are always aware that he is the bad guy. From that bird's eye point of view, you do know that. And you know that Gemma is the victim, and therefore the important one in the situation, that your sympathy should lie with her, that she has got to get out and she's not seeing things clearly enough to do so. And I wish books with unhealthy boyfriends would do this more often instead of always trying to redeem them for the sake of the romance or the spice or whatever. People are mixed bags. If you really need your male character to act in an indefensible way, great. Just don't try to defend it later. Let him win, but not the girl. Give him positive traits, but don't let those justify the bad. And if he's going to get redeemed, it's gotta be a long journey. Character motivation is such an interesting aspect of storytelling. There's so many things that can drive characters. There's so much to explore. But that doesn't mean you can skip to the same happy ending in any and all situations. It should, sometimes, not work out. There should be consequences for choices. And having an interesting motive doesn't justify mistreating the people around you. I'm looking at you, Fever Series. And I wish we would stop pretending it did. I wish we would stop saying it's okay because our female main character is tough and badass and she can take it. She shouldn't have to from a love interest. Maybe she likes challenges and competition and mystery, but no one likes to be kept in the dark or mistreated or used. I wish we would stop creating horrible people and then trying to humanize them. I get that people like that exist, but you know what else exists in higher quantities? 
decent people who are trying, who are also mixed bags that don't end up committing terrible crimes or treating the people around them like trash. Those people exist too, and I would argue they are far more interesting. There's a reason, for instance, people find Stockholm Syndrome more interesting than Lima Syndrome, its opposite, which is when the captor falls in love with the victim. And that's because the victim is the innocent party. The victim's psychology is more interesting because there's actual justification for it. We can root for them, we can feel for them, and still be fascinated. Now, I love a story about a serial killer or criminal, but only if we're able to acknowledge that's what's going on and that's what they are and that they may not deserve a happy ending just because they also love their kid or were bullied in high school or, I don't know, hunt monsters for a living. Sometimes the origin of the story is too much to overcome. Some things can't be forgiven deeply enough to make a true relationship feasible. Now I'm looking at you, Akatar. So if you're going to write a bad boy, you can't start them out pure evil in their behavior and then try to twist things to shine them in a nice light later. Conflict between worldviews, misunderstandings, these are the types of things that create quality enemies to lovers. Not sexual assaults or a boy that mistreats every other girl but this one or some revelation that this person is uniquely qualified to commit heinous deeds against the main character or others. Especially when we're talking about writing for YA audiences. It matters that we portray things fairly, that we don't lead young, inexperienced teenagers into bad situations just because we think there's a clear subtlety or that the line between healthy and unhealthy is obvious. It's often not. Teenagers aren't stupid by any means, but they're not adults. And even adults don't always know what they're doing romantically. Reading is a great way for everyone to experience mistakes without having to actually get hurt, but then we as writers need to make sure it's clear that that's what we're going for, that that's what we're trying to portray, so to encourage people to seek out pure love and, like, safety. And that may not be the theme of your book, but whatever your theme is shouldn't contradict the reality that people should strive for healthy relationships. <laughs> I know I should get off my soapbox, but this really bothers me. There are so many wonderful, healthy relationship possibilities out there, including with damaged people, so why are we focusing only on the harmful ones? If your argument is that you just like the darker side of romance, I know people get really up in arms about this, but there is a line where that becomes harmful to you too. If we can learn great lessons and experience other worldviews through literature, if that's the power it has, then are we even capable of not internalizing the themes of some of these books we read? Even if you're just reading to escape, aren't you still being changed by it? I'm not saying there aren't some borderline behaviors to explore, but something like Beautiful Disaster or Paper Princess, these were legitimately unhealthy, showcasing really manipulative and disgusting behaviors as understandable or fine, and those aren't even classified as dark romance books. You shouldn't be putting up with this stuff. In real life, sure, maybe we all know that, but I don't think we should be putting up with it in books either. Drama doesn't have to come with cheating. Conflict doesn't have to come with abuse. I wish there were more books about love interests overcoming external factors or actually learning how to work through their issues without justifying them. But here we are. I have not talked a lot about the actual book, Stolen, 
yet, I know, but there's not much more to say about it except that I think it was wonderfully written to induce Stockholm Syndrome while still allowing us to see through it. Highly recommend, especially for teenagers, because I wonder sometimes how much of my total lack of experience with abusive relationships can be attributed to the fact that books like this made me so aware of what I deserved and what I didn't from a young age. One book isn't the end-all be-all, but reading books like this can help you recognize the emotions associated with bad decisions to differentiate danger from excitement. It can help you prevent a bad situation before you ever end up in it, and getting out is far harder than swerving to avoid. That's one of the great things YA can do, and I think we're losing that thread. I know not everyone writes YA, and some of you might specifically be trying to explore darker themes, and that's great, but can there just be consequences? As writers, challenge yourselves. Challenge yourselves to write bad boys who don't go too far, who have a line that isn't arbitrary or selfish, who are called out by the main character, who then follows through on her refusal to take their toxicity, who don't use traumatic backstories to justify their actions, even if they're struggling with them, who don't get what they want when they go about it in cruel ways, who face consequences, whose actions can be forgiven but ultimately not forgotten. That's what's going to make for interesting writing, and it will make for just as swoon-worthy romances where it is supposed to, I promise. There is nothing sexy, can't believe I have to say this, about abuse, about using people, about shallow love and outright evil. If darkness is calling to you, it's probably in panic, not love. Let's show readers and demand from other writers love interests that care, and not only when sex is on the table. Love interests who are damaged, but not cruel. Love interests who are gray, but not dark, or attractive, but not good. It's all in the variety. There's so much to explore with boys who are sweet or kind and not just as a foil for darker qualities. If you wouldn't want someone doing something to you in real life, stalking, threatening, making lewd comments, then don't make it a desirable quality for the love interests in your books. If you wouldn't put up with that, don't put your main character in a position to fall in love with someone treating her badly like that. Or with someone who treats everyone badly but her. This is a thing people like now. That's who Ty is. He treats Gemma well, for the most part, but, like, at what cost, right? Who's getting hurt in the collateral damage? If your main character is the only person the love interest is nice to, that's also a red flag. So, I know it may be hard to hear, but there is more to life than morally gray bad boys. Well, I know this was a darker conversation, but... I don't read light romance, so this was all I had in the bank for Valentine's Day. <laughs> and I know it's coming across a little more like relationship advice than writing advice, isn't it? But honestly, life advice is really closely related to writing advice sometimes. There are some great romances books out there. I can think of many, worry not. But those types of relationships tend to also accompany really great overall stories, so there were none that I could talk only about the romance on, if that makes sense. Except Stolen, because what made it great was the bad relationship, that acknowledgement of reality versus fantasy when it comes to love. Hopefully you feel what I'm saying, like what I'm really saying, and don't get offended by the fact that I likely name-dropped one of your favorites as a bad guy here. We can agree to disagree. There are some potentially thin lines when it comes to these things, but my general statements stand. 
So, to end out this episode in honor of Valentine's Day, I have some bookish love-themed fun facts for you. One, the Roses Are Red, Violets Are Blue poem form originally appeared in Edmund Spencer's epic poem, The Fairy Queen, published in 1590, so that poem is older than you may have thought. Two, despite what the song says, Beauty and the Beast is not a tale as old as time. It's only about 300 years old, the original being written in the 1700s by a French novelist. Still not as old as time, but at least closer, is the love song for Shu Sin, an apparently very spicy poem written back in the 20th or 21st centuries BC. It's believed to be the oldest love poem, and it was written in cuneiform. Okay, these next couple aren't really bookish, but I thought they were interesting. So, three, you can die of a broken heart. Sort of. It's really more like you die of extreme stress that causes short-term heart failure that is deadly to the rare person here and there. But it does happen. Four, Seahorses, beavers, and wolves are all monogamous. It is far more common for bird species to be monogamous than mammals, a 90% versus 5% difference, and it's even rarer in sea creatures. It's thought these species are monogamous because both parents are necessary to protect offspring, because it's more convenient in species with elaborate mating rituals, or maybe because of an emotional component too. And the last fun fact... Falling in love has neurological effects similar to taking cocaine, which has got to be a great reason to not do drugs, because love must be less detrimental to your health, right? So, this Valentine's Day, do love, not drugs. (laughs) That's all for today. Hope you enjoyed this slightly weird conversation, and I'll see you here next week for a more standard writer's side of reading episode. Have a great Valentine's Day, and I will see you on the next page.